Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hello, and welcome to My Favourite Work of Art, with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is the artist Anita Klein. Anita studied at Chelsea and the Slade Schools of Art. She's a fellow and past president of the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers. Her subject matter is personal and domestic, and her work is infused with the warmth of female experience. In the Times newspaper, the critic John Russell Taylor wrote of her output, There is a grand simplicity in her works. They have the sort of unselfconscious directness that comes from living and breathing art for so long that it becomes second nature. Anita's work appears in many major national and international public collections, including the Arts Council England, the British Museum, the V&A and the British Library. She divides her time between her studios in London and Italy. I'm delighted she's joining me today. Welcome, Anita. Thank you. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Well, this was a very difficult choice for me. I started with 86, got it down to... (laughs) 10 and then I thought maybe she'll let me have 10 but I really (laughs) struggled to get it down to my very favourite but I've chosen the Madonna del Parto by Piero della Francesca Um, that's the pregnant Madonna and she is in a town called a little town called Monturkey in Tuscany or actually I think it might be in Umbria very near the border between Tuscany and Umbria. Okay so for our listeners um, let's just describe the image it's a figure of the Virgin Mary in a, a blue dress, holding her stomach, in, in a pose like celebrities do, sort of sticking out her tummy, very obviously showing that she's pregnant, um, with two angels at the side pulling back the curtain in, in revelation in in some ways, do you think? Yes, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, simple image. There's just these three figures. The angels are smaller than the, than the Virgin, but... Um, it peculiarly kind of scaled down in the way that those paintings uh, of, of that time often are. It's a fresco, so the colours are quite muted. And um, the angels are, yes, pulling back a curtain to reveal the pregnant Madonna. And she is also pulling back her blue dress to reveal her belly a bit. But she's also looking down um, very thoughtfully as if she's almost in an internal rather than the external world, thinking about the child inside, I always imagine. Mm. And that act of pulling across the curtain as well, sort of 
revealing the mysteries of pregnancy, perhaps? I think it is. I mean, it's it's a very, it can be seen, I think, as a very sexual image. It certainly could be, the whole painting could look like the kind of entrance to the vagina. It's very, um, it's unusual as a, a, a painting of that time to concentrate so much on something so private mm. and, and also very unusual to be done by a man. I think um, this this is supposed to be a portrait of Piero's mother. Um, and so it's it's a very personal picture as well as being very simple and very um, contemplative. The curtain has a design on it, which I believe is pomegranates, I think. Do you which... know, I've never seen that before. Oh, right. I haven't <laughs> even <laughs> And I just wondered about the symbol there of the pomegranate, uh, of, of a symbol of fertility, of the many seeds, mm. again, of that. I mean, which would have been well known, presumably, in the 15th century, where symbolism was 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 important, and and people sort of paid that kind of deep attention to things. And I just am very interested in the sense of of the use of this image. I mean, it was originally in a church, um, but you know, was it used as a as an aid to? Uh, to explain about pregnancy and fertility and childbirth, I wonder. Do you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure you're right and I'm sure that there are all sorts of things in this picture that might have been understood in a kind of, um, in a symbolic way by someone in the 15th century. But for me, it's a painting that I wish I'd done. And as a painter, I look at art mostly for what either what I can steal from it or what I wish I could do. So... The reason that I've chosen this out of my final 86 <laughs> is that is that I wish I'd done it. It's it has everything that I want to have in my pictures. It has amazing tranquility which is not just the result of the beautiful face of the virgin as I think a lot of people think it might be, but it's mostly because it's so beautifully designed. The composition the design of the picture, the the shapes, um, even if they were abstract, even if they weren't of anything, are so perfectly balanced that your eye is led round and and into the focus, into the the pregnant belly, um, in such a such a satisfying and quietly kind of mesmerizing way that it make to to me standing in front of this painting, it just makes me feel calm and. It's one of the most silent paintings I've ever seen. There's no sound. I can kind of imagine maybe the swishing of those curtains opening. But apart from that, it's totally silent and that's something that I I very much aim for in my pictures and struggle to do. So, you know, the symbolism, fine. But uh, I like I like her face. I like the design of the picture. I like the fact that it's a, it's a very female picture. It's about inner female experience. Um... And I love the fact that although it's it's a symbolic, almost an iconic picture, it's more almost like an icon. The the Virgin and the angels are actually real people as well. And this was a time in history, I think, where um, art was becoming was halfway between being icon, between a medieval icon, and pictures of real ordinary people. So the angels have got lovely little kind of socks on or slippers or something, mm-hmm. and their feet are. A real feet. They're not. Um, they're not symbolic feet. The their dresses or clothes or whatever they're wearing look like you know real real people's dresses, but they've got these very pretty wings and these peculiar halos that are not 
uh, flat circles behind them, but almost like discs sitting on their head kind of make me smile. Um, but generally, it's it's the quietness that that I that I long to get a picture of mine to be as quiet as this. Mm. I think it's interesting that we are looking at um, the, the pregnant Madonna, and th- in the church there is so much, uh, you know emphasis on teaching and and the liturgy and and all the rest of it but this is as you say a very personal private image and it's interesting with your work because that too is is emphasized with the personal and the private um and it's interesting that you say that this is something that you know you would love to have painted yourself yeah did you paint pictures of yourself when you were pregnant i did i did all my pic my work has been completely autobiographical for the last maybe 35 years um i was pregnant when I left art college and I was already working in a in an autobiographical way um, but having said that it, I don't use mirrors or photographs I don't want really anybody to th- see a resemblance necessarily between the pic- my own pictures and what I look like um, and another reason that this so appeals to me is that it's kind of every woman it's not an individual woman although Piero um it was his his mother, so maybe it is a portrait of her. But I think it, this has something that I want in it, in being... Um, it's like a monument to, to femaleness, to fertility, to pregnancy, to, to monument to being a woman and a celebration of something that is so common and yet so special for every mother. And so mysterious. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Um, so tell me a bit more about your background as an artist. What was your upbringing like? When did you first discover that art was the thing that made your heart leap? Um, I, I don't come from a family of artists. I don't think there's ever been a, an artist in my family. Um, but my parents liked looking at pictures. They had posters, Picasso and Matisse, on their walls, so they were aware of art. Um, and I just always drew. I always drew pictures of my own life, as as I think all children do. Um, and maybe I'm just one of those people who was never discouraged. Nobody ever said, that's rubbish to me at a key stage. So I just kept kept on doing it. Um, when I was 16, I was given a book token. I can't even remember who gave it to me. But I went out and bought Kenneth Clark's Civilization, the book, right. which is kind of an odd thing for a 16-year-old, isn't Absolutely. it? When I look back now, I think I must have been quite strange. But anyway, I bought it, read it cover to cover. I just really wanted to know about art um, and decided that I had to go to Florence after. I mean, Kenneth Clark's Civilization, he is, there's a lot in Florence. Mm. Um, so in my... Um, the summer holidays between my two A-level years, I took myself on a train down to Florence with a sketchbook and a plan, which I typed out very kind of systematically of every picture I wanted to see in Florence. And I went, stayed in a hostel alone. Again, I must have been a weird 16-year-old. Stayed in a hostel and just went every day to all the, see all the art in Florence and copied it all with a biro into my sketchbook, which, which is yeah odd, isn't it? Um, and did but, you see the Madonna del Parto on that trip? No. It, the Madonna del Parto is actually not in Florence. It's in Monterkey. Um, I saw a lot of art that was done around this time, and it was this... It was that trip that really started me in my love affair with Italian Renaissance art or early Renaissance art. Um, there's paintings, particularly uh, Masaccio and um, oh, uh, many paintings in Florence that done at a very similar time to this with a similar feel. 
Um, and it that definitely was one of the main inspirations to me that after my A-levels that I would go to art school rather than to university, which was not a popular choice with my parents at all. I mean, now I think it's much more acceptable to go to art school. When I went, it was one of those things that your parents really didn't want you to do. They, <laughs> they wanted me to do a, um, an academic degree and do art as a hobby. And I, Anyway, I went and did a foundation course at Chelsea and went to the Slade. Um, and when I was there, I started, as everybody does when they're an art student, um, doing paintings that, that were fashionable at the time. And at the time, that was big very abstract paintings and I was influenced by the tutors and painting pictures of people was really not a um which is not fashionable and so I think the last drawing of a person I did was at a level and then I had two or three years of big abstract paintings and I think looking back now that I was actually sorting out quite a lot of um a lot of technical stuff a lot of, of things about composition that I'm still using now um, the design of a picture, the balance of the colours and whatever, but with no subject matter at all. It took me two or three years to really bore myself into a corner with that so that I just couldn't be bothered to do another abstract painting. Uh, the tutors all loved them and that was fine, but I felt quite kind of came to a crisis where I thought, I can't do this anymore, maybe I just need to leave. Um, I went home one night to my little flat where I was living and I was thinking you know why why am I at art school maybe my parents were right I should have done an academic degree instead and I thought I'll just go back to the last time that I really enjoyed drawing and that was as a child doing pictures of my everyday life my sister waking me up having breakfast those sort of things so I did a little series of kind of almost cartoony drawings in a sketchbook um at in the evening at home um of my day, so getting up in the morning, brushing my teeth, um, having a shower, leaving, hey, going on the tube, ordinary scenes, life. and it was like a kind, it was like a cartoon strip, and it's hard to describe how exciting that was. I felt like the floodgates had opened into something that I'd, I'd found some joy that I hadn't had for a very long time, um, and I knew then the reason I went to art school is this is something that I love, and I love doing it whether anybody else ever sees it. But it's mm. like a, it was like a diary. Mm. So I went back to the Slade and very, very tentatively did these little pictures in a sketchbook and tried to hide them, really. I was just ashamed. They felt so childish and so wrong um, in that sort of environment. Um, but luckily, there were two things happened. A technician at the Slade um, in the printmaking department, which then was just postgraduate, but, um, and I was an undergraduate, saw my little sketchbook and said, you really ought to try to make some prints. And he taught me how to do lithography and then I learned how to do etching. Um, and I found that with printmaking, you could just draw in black and white. You didn't need colour and that was okay. That was like a finished work of art, even in black and white. And at the time, colour was just, it was too much of a challenge. I had only really just discovered how I wanted to do pictures in black and white. Um, so I started doing printmaking and then the other amazing piece of luck was that the artist um, Paula Rigo was teaching at the Slade just one day a week when I was there. She saw my work and was so encouraging and so amazing. She just said, you must keep on doing this. This is really good. Don't let anybody tell you to stop. And she was learning printmaking at the same time as me. So we learned etching together, me and Paula. And she took me to her studio and we talked a lot about drawing. And she's a drawer as well, like me. And although her work is quite different from mine, it's much more narrative. 
um, I, I was incredibly inspired and encouraged by her. So that allowed me to carry on with something that I otherwise felt was probably too personal and too childish to fit in with some with the kind of grand art school notions of art, mm. really. Anyway, but I mean, the, the painting you chosen today, the fresco, is is a grand painting. is a is a, a real staple of art history. Yeah. Um, can you remember the first time that you saw it? Yes, I can. I um, had this, as I said, relationship with Italy with Italian paintings. And when I was at art school, I think I'd been there three or four years. I'd already met my future husband. We were living together in a small flat in uh, a council flat. Um, and I won a prize from the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers. I won five hundred pounds. Um, I to I, to apply for it, you had to say what you would do with five hundred pounds. And I said I would like to go to Italy to draw from the Italian masters. Um, basically, wanted a holiday. But anyway, I, <laughs> I I got you had to submit some pictures, and so I got this prize. And um, we arranged a, a home exchange with a. And we, we basically, we would have gone anywhere in Italy. We didn't have enough money. The £500 was a lot, but it wasn't enough to spend an entire summer in Italy if we'd had to pay for accommodation. But we swapped our little council flat with a um, a kind of attic room that a, a student girl um, who wanted to come and learn English, she came to our flat in London and we went to her attic room above her parents' house, which turned out to be in Arezzo in, um, uh, in Tuscany. Uh, in Arezzo, there is... A, a famous cycle of frescoes by Piero della Francesca, the legend of the true cross. And at the time, you didn't have to pay to get into that. It was just in a dark old church, unrestored. And so we went most days and I would sit and draw from those Pieros. And then I looked up in a book about Piero della Francesca and found that there were other paintings by him. And we got a bus from Arezzo to Monterchi and to San Sepulcro, where um, Piero was born. It's not very far. It's a couple of hours. Um, and I saw this painting for the first time. Now, I mean, talking 35 years after that, I have a studio very close to Monterchi in Italy. And the choice was not random. It's a part of Italy that I love and feel very inspired by. And I've seen this painting many, many times. It's Unfortunately, you do have to pay to get in unless you're pregnant. It's free to get in if is you're pregnant, really? Yeah, which is Fantastic. a lovely thing. That is lovely. And it's also really interesting because uh, when it was in, the, because I believe now it's in its own museum, yeah. but when it was in Monterkey, uh there was a, a worry about, about uh, that the, the local mayor was, was approached with a, an idea to lend the paint, the fresco out. And he didn't want to let it go because there was such a, a belief that it was so important for the local fertility of, really? of women, yeah. yeah, absolutely, and people would come and lay flowers at the the, the feet of, mm. of of Mary. They still do. I mean, I really? still even in the museum now, I've seen little kind of rolled up messages and things. It's definitely um, yeah, she is about fertility, and she's only across the road from the church where she was. Now the museum is just across the road. Okay, um, so they carefully removed the fresco and. Um, restored it not very long ago. I mean, it was about 10 years ago. So it was in that museum unrestored. And now now it's beautifully restored. And there's a little kind of film about it as well. And it's, I mean, it's so stunning. It's in a dark room on its own. Um, and it's very, very contemplative space. If you sit there, it's not at all surprising. I'm, I'm not a religious person and, and I'm Jewish anyway. So the Christian symbolism is not for me. But it's not surprising that people believe that she has this power of fertility. She certainly has some sort of power. And sitting in front of her, you know, if you were, 
if you wanted to get pregnant, I think I can't recommend anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for coming in, Anita. That's a pleasure. Today we were talking about Piero della Francesca's Madonna del Parto, a fresco which was painted between 1450 and 1460. Italian Renaissance painter Piero della Francesca was born around 1415 and died aged 77 in 1492. It is believed that Piero della Francesca completed the 100 by 80 inch fresco in only seven days. Originally commissioned as the high altarpiece for a rural church in Monterkey, which no longer exists, the fresco was cut down and probably reduced in size. The detached fresco is now housed in a specially built museum, the Museum della Madonna del Parto in Tuscany. The Madonna del Parto depicts the Virgin Mary pregnant, and it is argued by some art historians that these type of images were used as a fertility and pregnancy aid. If you would like to see the artwork we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wise Budder in London and was edited by Liam Clayton. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye.